Good morning. It is good to see you. Let me welcome you to First Baptist Church. We're glad you're here. If you would like to have more information about our church, you can use the QR code on the screen. You can just take your phone out and take a picture, and it'll pull you to the right place. Or you can use the QR code on the back of the, um, of the worship guide. We would love to give you more information about our church. But we're glad all of you are here. Why don't you stand up and do what you've been doing? But stand up and do it. Move around and greet one another. We're really glad you're here today. All right, you be seated. It is good to see all of you. Thank you so much for being here today. And I know with the snow and the threat of snow and holiday weekend and everything, but we're really glad you're here. If you look in the announcement pages of your worship guide, there are a couple of things. Um, the WMU is collecting um, items needed for um, Valentine's bags for the veterans. And so please take part of that. And also, you can see adult Sunday school teachers. And then the DU classes started this past week. We had a lot of people here on campus, and, and hopefully we'll have um, uh, more as we continue. We're hoping in the 1st of February to start Wednesday night meals and, and begin to do that to help you and so you can eat and go straight into DU. The only thing I would tell you on the DU classes, if you were here the past week, Kim's class and, and Dr. Ed Glasscott's classes are swapping. So just look for there'll be a new room for, you, for those two classes because of the size difference. And so we're really glad you're here. Um, our call to worship is Psalm 136. If you'll notice um, in Psalm 136, we have the first three verses. Let me just tell you, there are 26 verses, and all 26 end with, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so we were, it worked in the first service. They'll see if it works in the second service. I want to do this as a responsive reading. So I'm going to read the first part, and you will always read for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay? So, Kim, you're in charge of helping them read at the right time. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. Amen. I have to admit, I woke up mad at y'all this morning. I had a dream. I'm, just, I'm, I'm serious. Preachers have weird dreams. I had a dream that we were in this room and it was packed and I was going to go a little long. And I said, look, if you need to leave early, go ahead and go. And before the sermon was over, every one of y'all have left. And I was preaching by myself. But I finished the sermon. So uh, we're glad you're here. We're going to dedicate ourselves this year to reading the public reading of Scripture through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take little bits of it. So take time as you hear the different readers read this passage and search your own hearts and see where you are in terms of what Jesus said we need to be. So Russell, come and read our scripture. 
Good morning. Today's scripture is Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, you're, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Church, let's continue to worship. Let's stand. We want to just sing songs today that deal with trials, that deal with suffering, and what we can do in the middle of our trials and suffering. And so um, let's just sing with all that we have. There are just so many beautifully written songs that aren't just songs, but are based on God's word and, and his precepts of what we do in the midst of suffering.
The Bible tells us in the book of James to have joy in our trials. And the truth of the matter is that is something that we cannot do in our flesh. We just can't do it. We can't do it. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, He can give us true joy in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And we fix our eyes on Jesus because He has already gone before us and He has already won the battle.
That takes it all out of you right there, right? Man, he's fighting a battle that he's already won. Isn't that good? Don't we need to hear that today? Man, it's good. This next song we're doing is a new song. And again, it talks about this life is hard. We have a lot of trials. The Lord tells us that in this life that we will have tribulation. But Jesus himself said, but I have overcome the world. And you and I will too. We will. Our Jesus is faithful. He's good. He's our firm foundation.
Father, thank you for the truth that you never fail us and you never forsake us. You tell us in your word that you are with us always. We thank you for the presence of your spirit in our lives. Father, we confess to you that this life can be very difficult. And Father, we thank you for the truth that Jesus is our firm foundation, no matter what is happening in our lives. Help us to cling to him with everything that we are. Help us to fix our eyes on you, the author, the perfecter of our faith. We love you, Jesus. In your son's name I pray, amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, you can... Turn in Colossians chapter 1. I opened by telling you about a dream I had last night. I don't often remember dreams, but I had a dream. Um, it was the Wednesday, first Wednesday of New Year. We were in St. Augustine. And it was right before I woke up. And we were in this room again. Most of preachers' dreams are centered around some kind of mess up in church. But this was different. It was a revival. The place was packed. I, I know for sure who was preaching that revival, so I got to contact them to ask them to come. 
But he walked up to the pulpit and, and began, and we continued to sing. And I was in the dream right here. And as we opened our mouths to sing, I can't explain it except to say heavenly noise came out. And the room was just filled with this heavenly music. And I remember thinking, what's coming out of me? This noise, this, this, it was just joyful. And I looked, and by that time, everyone was on their face. Everyone was seeking after the Lord. And I woke up, and Kim and I got in the car to come home that next day. And I started telling her, she goes, is this a joke? I said, no. This is real. This is what happened. Because usually I start to, hey, you hear about the one that had a dream. And, but, but it was just God moving. And, and so my prayer is for that to happen in our midst, that God would move in us. And, and so we're going to pray again. And then um, before we pray, let me just give you some things. I know Josh shared this with you, but I want to celebrate with you. We finished last year. Over 18000 above budget. That's the first time since 2020 that we've done that. And so I want to thank you. Our goal for, Annie, for Lottie Moon was 105000 You gave $117,377.82. And so I want to thank you for that. We gave more to Lottie. We gave $59,345 to Annie. That's the most we've ever given to Lottie, the most we've ever given to Annie. And I just want to thank you for the way that you gave and just celebrate with you that God has, has done that. And so he answered our prayers. And so before we pray, I just want to say, hey, God answered our prayer in that. So thank you for the way that you've given. Thank God for the way he's provided for us. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and praise you. I thank you for the message of each of the songs that we've been singing. That in you we overcome and that even when we suffer, we grow and we become more like you. And so even as we are about to read and Paul, help us to learn to rejoice always, to give thanks for everything, especially to rejoice in our sufferings. God, I praise you for what you've done in this past year and we're looking forward to this new year. And I ask, Father, that you would move in our midst and that revival would come. Not just to us, but God, would you send revival throughout our city, throughout our state, throughout our nation, throughout our world. We desperately need revival in your church. And God, would you move in your church in such a way that we learn to live out the words we've been hearing in Matthew with the Sermon on the Mount, that, that people wouldn't turn to false teachings to find the teachings, Jesus, that you gave about how we're supposed to live. But they would look to the church and find people who, who love and people who are at peace and people who turn the other cheek and walk the extra mile and give their coat when they're sued for their shirt. Help us to be a sacrificial people. Lord, I love you and I praise you. You know the needs we have. We lift up those like Frank and Leon who are battling cancer. We ask God for your healing. We lift up those who are coming out of um, just hospitalization. I thank you for Joe being home, and God, we praise you for that and ask that you'd be with he, him and his, his wife and his family. 
Lord, you know the other needs that are here. You know those that need provision, those they need protection, those who need wisdom, those who need jobs, those who, they just, there's all kinds of things. And you're able. So we just turn to you and ask that you would move. Bless the reading of your word and the preaching, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In Colossians 1, our text is verse 24. But I want to read verses 24 through 29. I'm not sure that anything but 24 will be on the screen because I didn't tell the ladies to put it there. But, but if you have your Bibles, and, and I just want to challenge you. I, was, I, I watched the last week, I watched the service online, and then I was watching another service, and the, and the guy said, um, there, look, I'm not saying if you have a Bible on your phone, it's wrong, okay? I have a Bible on my phone. But there is something about a real Bible in your hand. And let me tell you, I know that seems like an old man saying that, but let me tell you the main difference is this never shows me notifications that somebody's texting me or something pops up, okay? I just, when I read Scripture, I don't need any distractions. So if you're using your phone on your Bible, that's, or your Bible on your phone, that's fine, but just make sure you stay with it. Turn out the other stuff also for the next few minutes. We can focus on what the Scripture is saying. But let's look at it together. Colossians 1, if you can, stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I would say to you, too, if you need a Bible and don't have one, let me know. We can get you one, okay? Um, now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, look at this, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now go back to verse 24. That's our text today. Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Job. I'll just leave that verse up there for a while. What in the world is Paul saying when he says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? What is he saying here? We're going to look at this today and spend some time trying to figure it out because this is one of the more disputed verses in the Bible. Denominations have developed whole theologies around this. For example, purgatory. Let me just say to you, purgatory is a slap in the face of justification. Because when Jesus justifies you, he declares you not guilty of all your sin and righteous with the righteousness of Christ and the idea that you have to, after you die, somehow go somewhere and have fire burn away your sin. It's just outside of what the scriptures teach. 
But people use verses like this to develop theologies like that. And so I thought I would just preach the entire text I read to you. But, but as I read verse 24, I realized we need to spend some time trying to do three things. And these are not your points, but I'm going to tell you the three things we need to do today. We need to see what Paul is saying, what Paul's not saying, and what he means by what he's saying. Okay? So today we're going to look at what Paul's saying what he's not saying, and then what does he mean by what he's saying. So let's dig into it. But before we dig into that statement, filling up what is lacking, I think we need to not quickly jump over what he says at the beginning. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Paul's wording here indicates that he made, here's your first point, a daily decision to rejoice. You and I live in difficult times. The more we try to walk in Christ, the more difficult it's going to be. And those difficulties come around us. The world is changing. We're becoming further and further out from the norm. World's changing. People are changing. Theologies are changing. And we have to day by day, when difficulties come or when joys come, we have to wake up and make a daily decision to rejoice. How many people do you know that rejoice in their sufferings? Now, in sports, in music, in the academic world, we understand how people embrace the grind to get better. Okay? Musicians spend hours upon hours practicing. The people who are up here playing today just didn't pick that up overnight. They spend hours honing their craft. We, we're through with college football, but pro football at the end, we're watching these teams and, and understand that these athletes, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever it is, these athletes didn't just wake up. Now they woke up with talent, but not with the abilities to do what they're doing. They, they spent hours embracing the grind. Those who excel in academia, uh, they, 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 they're often born with, with, with smarter minds than mine, but, but they had to embrace the grind of study and work. When everybody else was out playing, they were doing their homework. They embraced the grind. We understand how you embrace the grind, but, but what about rejoicing in suffering? A study in this last couple of weeks for this passage, and, and it seemed like every pastor came to the same verses when you started looking at this about how we're to rejoice in our suffering. So let me give you several verses, several verses that show us why we should make a daily decision to rejoice, especially when we suffer. In Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed are you, he said. When that happens, you're blessed. And look what he says you're supposed to do. Rejoice and be glad. Church, I think we've gotten away from this. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, so Jesus says, when you're persecuted, when you're reviled, when people say bad things about you, don't fight fire with fire, but rejoice. Why? Because when they do that and you rejoice, 
you receive blessings in heaven. God rewards those who rejoice in their sufferings. In Acts chapter 5, we see an example of this. The apostles are arrested, they're beaten. And then in verse 41, we find, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Rejoicing. Why? Because they understood what someone has said that we need to understand. It is an honor to be dishonored with Christ. Write that down. It is an honor to be dishonored with Christ. The world's changing. People reject the teachings of the Scripture. They reject the teachings of Christ. Often they're not rejecting the teachings of Christ. They're rejecting how the church lives it. But the teachings of Christ are there. And you and I need to understand that it is an honor to be dishonored when we live holy lives. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing, here's the reason, knowing that suffering produces endurance. He continues in verse 4, endurance produces character and character produces hope. And verse 5 says that hope doesn't disappoint. It doesn't shame us. So we, we rejoice in our sufferings because of what it does. It, it gives us eternal reward. It blesses us. God rewards us for it. He, 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 we, when we're dishonored, we're honored with Christ. And then when, we're, when we suffer, we, 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 we know that we get endurance from that. From that endurance comes character. From that character comes hope. Just as an athlete grows in embracing the grind, a child of God grows in suffering. And we don't grow outside of suffering. Sometimes it's small things, sometimes it's large things. But here's the thing. When the small suffering comes and we rejoice in it, it prepares us to come to the point that when we may have to face dying for Jesus... We'll die singing and rejoicing and dancing. But you don't get there if you live your life complaining. We've got to learn to rejoice in the suffering. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Very similar teaching by Paul. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Now, y'all don't understand that yet, okay? I'm looking at all the young people over there. You don't understand outer selves wasting away. But many of you understand what he's talking about, right? Though our outer selves are wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, just go back and read 2 Corinthians and see what Paul calls light momentary affliction. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I came to First Baptist at 35. I was relatively a young person. Okay, now y'all don't think 35 is young, but it's a lot of you think 35 is pretty young. At 35, I had hair. 
I could pretty much do what I wanted to do athletically. I could still do what I used to do. I, I was running marathons. I was doing other things, and, and I could do that. I, I, um, I could think about losing weight and lose 10 pounds. Now I walk by Dunkin' Donuts, and I gain 10. I'll be honest, I don't like this aging thing. I don't care about the hair. I keep it short anyway. Maybe not. If I had hair, it'd probably be really long right now. But the thing that bugs me the most about it is I can't see to read anymore. It drives me crazy that I have to wear these. Because I don't know about you guys, but something in our house moves whatever I put down. So I set down a pair of glasses, and then I spend 20 minutes looking for them, and I usually find them on top of somebody five-foot-two beautiful lady's head. <laughs> I just can't read without my glasses. And sometimes, I'm, let me just be honest, I complain to God about it. I say, God, you healed the blind. You opened blind eyes. Surely you can heal my eyes so I can read without glasses. And you know what God reminds me of? Your eyesight's failing. It's going to get worse. He always reminds me of my dad with that little magnifier. Trying to read one page and then I feel really bad about complaining about glasses. But then he says, but John, one day you're going to see me face to face. The light momentary afflictions Prepare for us a weight of glory beyond comparison. So when we suffer, rejoice in it. He's doing something. He's preparing us for something. One other verse. This is the verse I preached when I came in view of a call. Philippians 3.10. Paul said this. This is in NIV. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I love that. I want to know Christ. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And, and we're all with that. But then he says, and I want to know him in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. When you boil it all down, what Paul says is that suffering for Jesus and learning to rejoice in that suffering brings us closer to Jesus. Kim and I grow closer through difficulties in life than we did through the good things in life. When everything's sailing easy, we don't grow a whole lot. But when we begin to embrace that grind and when we suffer for being holy, we grow closer to Jesus. So here's what I think we're saying. Make a daily decision to rejoice even in your suffering and don't be so afraid to suffer that you never step out in faith. Step out, no matter what happens. And that leads us to what Paul says next. He says, now I'll rejoice in my suffering, sufferings, for your sake. For your sake. What he's about to say is this. The suffering he encounters is for the church. He's suffering for the church. Second part. Paul's suffering for the body of Christ, which would also include the head of the body, Jesus. 
He's suffering for Jesus, and as he suffers with Jesus for Jesus, he's also suffering for the body of Christ. And look what he says back in our text. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now again, what in the world is Paul talking about? First of all, let's see what he's not talking about. What he isn't talking about here. He's not saying that Jesus' atonement was lacking. He's not saying that the death on the cross was not sufficient. He's not saying that you have to add something to what Jesus did to make it work for you. He's not saying that you're saved by faith and works. He's not saying that. He, we know that he teaches you're saved by faith alone in what he did, and that faith leads to works, but you're not saved by your works. And so what he's not saying, let's make sure we get it, what he isn't talking about is that Christ has a lack in his atonement and that we have to do something more for redemption. I mean, let's just look at the text for a second. Look back at what we've studied. Look at verse 14. In whom, talking about Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then look at verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. To say something is lacking in the redemptive work of Christ's atonement would be against everything Paul has just said up to this point. It would be against everything Paul said in the following verses. And let me tell you, if Paul is saying that there's something lacking in the atonement of Christ, then it goes against everything he said in 13 books. That's not what he's saying. So we look at what he isn't saying. So let's look at what he is saying. What is he saying in this text? When we look at this, what he isn't saying, what is he saying? Now let me be honest. I, I went to a lot of sources trying to figure this out. I dug in commentary after commentary. I went to sermon after sermon. And usually I walked away as confused as I was before I went into it. But I found somebody, and I've talked about him before, and I quote him from time to time. And I want to just share with you that John Piper has this little thing called labs, looking at the book, okay? They're just usually five to ten-minute videos where he digs into verse after verse and shows you how to study Scripture. Now, listen, you don't have to agree with everything Piper says. I don't. I don't even agree with everything I said 20 years ago, Okay? Probably you don't either. But I dug into it, and I listened to Piper, and he helped me in a way no one else did. So let me just give him credit and tell you that I got this idea from him. Let the text speak for itself. Paul uses two words. Job, I'll put verse 24 back up there. When, when Paul's talking, he says, he, look at it. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh. There's two words I want you to see. Three in English, but filling up, that's one. That's only one word in, English, in Greek, but filling up what is lacking. Filling up and lacking. 
Two words there that we have to tie into and try to understand because they help us understand the entire verse. Now, I'm not going to bore you with this, so just hang on. It'll be real quick. But the word filling up in, in the Greek language has a, con- a main word, which means to fill. That's why we get the word filling. But it also has two prepositions at the beginning. And what's interesting is it's the only time Paul uses that word. So usually when you come to a verse like that and you find a word like that, you say, well, let me just look up where Paul's used this word somewhere else, and, and, and then I can see what he means, but there's no other place. Where else would Paul use the words filling up and lacking so that I can understand what he means about the afflictions of the body? Well, Piper, help me here. Turn over in your Bibles to the left, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you look at verse 19, we won't read all the way through it, but, but he wanted to send Timothy to them. Paul's in prison. He wanted to send Timothy to the church, but he couldn't. He said, I have no one else like him. And he, he goes on. So he said in verse 25, I think it's necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Remember, Epaphras is the one in, in, in Colossians. But Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, your, look at your messenger and minister to my need. That's key. The Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to Paul while he was in prison. And he talked about how he was longing for, for them because they were stressed that they heard that Epaphroditus was sick. And Paul says in verse 27, he was sick. He almost died, but God had mercy on him. And then we get, he said, I want to send them to you. And here's verse 29. So receive him, receive Epaphroditus in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Notice two words there, complete and lacking. That word complete is almost the word Paul uses in Colossians. Let me tell you what I mean. It's the word filling with one of the two prepositions. Colossians, the word filling has two prepositions at the front. This word is the same Greek word filling, but it only has one preposition. But he uses the word lacking with it. So it helps us understand complete, fill up what is there. Paul's saying this. He's saying the Philippians desired to serve Paul. Paul was their guy. Paul brought the gospel to the church in Philippi. Paul suffered in Philippi. He, he, he spent time. There was beatings in Philippi. There were people who suffered because of Paul's preaching. And Paul and his people suffered. And, and Paul took the gospel. And now Paul's in prison. And they want to minister to Paul, but they can't get to Paul. They just can't get to him. They don't have any opportunity to get to him. The whole church can't sail from Philippi and get to where Paul is and minister him. And they're burdened by that. If you look over in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, you you see a little bit about the burden. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, that idea, no opportunity, helps us understand what Paul's saying in Colossians. The Philippian church 
wanted to fill up something for Paul. They, they, they wanted to fill up what Paul was lacking. He's in prison. He's suffering. They wanted to go, but they didn't have an opportunity to go. They, they, they had to send someone in their place. They sent Epaphroditus, who Paul says risked his life to minister to me. Epaphroditus was a go-between between the Philippians and their suffering to minister to Paul and Paul's suffering. And now in Colossians, Paul, he sacrifices for the church. We're going to see more about that sacrifice next week. He sacrifices for them. In the next couple of weeks, we'll look at it. He's, he's representing Christ to the church in Colossae. And as he does, he's suffering. He's suffering for their good. You see, what we're going to see is Paul's in prison and he's heard from Epaphras that false teachers have come in and they're dragging them away from the truth. And Paul is struggling in prayer. He wants to come to them, but he has no opportunity. He's chained to a Roman soldier in prison. He wants to fill up what's lacking in their life, but there's no opportunity. And here's what he's saying, is that my suffering for you is a display of Christ's love for you. Christ loves you. I'm his apostle. I love you, and I'm suffering for you because I'm with you, and I want you to grow. When we suffer to be holy, church, when we suffer to be holy, when, when we're willing to embrace persecution to show the love of Christ, when, when we give more than we can afford to give, when, when we do it to see the gospel spread, when we give ourselves even unto death, the word heals, the word, the world hears the good news and they see the good news and, and we fill up what's lacking. You know what's lacking? It's their opportunity to hear it. And sometimes we're going to have to suffer so that they can hear it. We're going to have to give of ourselves so that people will believe it. We're identifying with his sufferings even as he identifies with us. This is a little word that you might want to write down because we're going to come back to it in the next couple of weeks. And that word's union. We're brought into union with Christ. He identifies with it. It's interesting. You remember when Paul saved, he saw He's on the road to Damascus, and what happens? God appears to him. Jesus appears to him in a bright light. Remember what he says? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this is what I think Paul says. It's what he would mean. I'm not persecuting you. I don't know who you are, but I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting them. And Jesus is basically saying, when you persecute the church, Saul, you persecute me. Jesus identifies with us. That's why we get closer to him when we suffer. He identifies with us in the midst of our suffering. And what's interesting is just a couple of verses, a couple of chapters later, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In Acts 6, verse 16, God the Father tells Ananias, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus says, Saul, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. I suffer with the church. And now he's saying, Saul, when you serve me, you're going to suffer with me. I suffer with you and you suffer with me. We're one. 
We live for the same thing. That's union with Christ. Maybe I rack my brain thinking, how can I, how can I put this in something we can understand? And, and I remembered a story that, that I told you years ago. It's by a man named Michael Card. He's, he's a singer. But Michael Card tells a story of a Maasai warrior named Joseph. It hit his home because we just worked with the Maasai this summer. And Joseph is walking down this dusty road in the middle of Africa in the Maasai village, at Maasai territory, and, and somebody encounters him with the gospel. And Joseph hears the gospel, he hears about Jesus, and he receives Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and he's filled with joy. And the first thing he thinks is, I've got to get this message back to my people. And so he goes back to his village, and he begins to go door to door telling everyone in the village about the cross of Jesus, the salvation that the cross offers. But to his amazement, the villagers didn't care. And not only did they not care, they became hostile. The Maasai men grabbed Joseph and seized him and held him while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. And then they drug him out, into the vill- out of the village and left him to die in the bush. Card says somehow Joseph managed to crawl to a water hole. And there he spent day after day passing in and out of consciousness. He finally found the strength to get up and he thought about what happened. And he wondered about the hostile treatment and he decided, I must have left something out. I didn't get the message right. Because if they had heard what I heard, they would receive Christ like I did. And so he rehearses it in his mind, and he goes back to the village, and he begins once again to tell everybody about Jesus. He said, you died, he died for you so that you can find forgiveness. He, he came that you might know the living God. And once again, the men grabbed him, and the women began to beat him as they held him and beat him with barbed wire and dragged him out into the bush again to die. Surviving the first beating is, is amazing, but to survive the second one was a miracle. And so days later, he, he regained consciousness. He regained his strength. And he thought, I must have gotten it wrong. Surely they didn't hear what I heard. And so he goes back to the village, limping in that village. And this time, they don't even wait for him to open his mouth. They immediately grab him and begin to beat him. But as he is being beaten, this time, the third time, right before he loses consciousness, he looks and the women who are beating him are weeping as they do it. Card says Joseph wakes up in a bed and the ones who had beaten him, the ones who had tried to kill him are now saving his life. The entire village had come to Christ. Why? Because it dawned on them If this man would suffer like that to get us the message, then it must be true. Are we willing to suffer for the truth? You may not be beaten with barbed wire in the streets of Pell City right now. But will you suffer a promotion? 
Will you suffer not getting a job? Will you suffer not winning something that you want? Will you, will you suffer maybe not a new car this year so you can give more money or, or not a new house so that you can give more money? Or, or maybe you could say, I've got enough right now and I'm going to spend this money or I'm going to spend my time or I'm going to spend my life. Maybe it's a big job promotion and, and you know that if you take it, you'll never be home and you'll say, I'd rather be at home. So you suffer. There's a lot of little sufferings that take place in our life to be holy. Are we willing to suffer like that for the cause of Christ? It dawned on me not long ago, I was listening to a series of podcasts, and all these people were embracing some Middle Eastern religion, some type of Buddhism, and, and, and Kim and I were listening to this podcast, and, and as the guy talked, I thought, He's just teaching what Jesus taught. I'm not saying Buddhism is Jesus. Don't hear me say that. I'm saying what they were drawn by is what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Church, the world's looking. They're looking for hope. They're looking for peace. They're looking for love. They're looking for what we have in Christ, but, but if we live ugly lives, they don't care about what we say. But when we suffer to get the truth, there are times, this means nothing compared to what Joseph, I just shared. There are times in my life that I have preached this text knowing that I was going to catch it when it was over. I knew that the doctrine I preached was not going to be agreed by everyone and that I would be having meetings and I'd have people who were calling for my job. And that's happened over the years. But you know what I've done over the years? I've said, fire me, but I'm going to preach the word. There's a suffering that will endure. There's a suffering. But we rejoice in that because there's something a lot better than that suffering. You see, I've found that when those times of suffering come and I rejoice in the Lord, the presence of Jesus is so thick that it's okay. When he's with you, nothing else matters. Amen? That's why Wormbrand, the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs, I told you, he said we had an agreement with the, with the Soviets. We had an agreement with the communists. If we rejoiced in Christ, if we preached, they beat us. So we had an agreement. They beat us, we preached. We preached, they beat us. But he said every night after coming back into his jail cell, being beaten for Christ, he said, I danced with Jesus. Because he was there in that room with him. Rejoice daily in your sufferings. And in your sufferings, bring the message of hope to a lost world. Amen? Let me ask you to bow your heads. I don't know what God's calling you to do. I know some things that he's calling all of us to do, but I can't personally apply this to every one of you in your situation, but God can. What is it that God's calling you to do? 
And I know many times I've asked you to pray this prayer, and I'll ask you to pray it again. Lord Jesus, what would you have me do right now? What's the next step? For some of you, it might be deleting your social media account. I'm serious. If you can't be kind and like Christ, just delete it. For some of you, it may be listening to different people. Get away from certain things that influence you toward a life outside of Christ. New set of friends. Friends. 